you know, it's interesting as you turn. The, the text this morning is Luke 3. And as you turn there, there's another passage that I just want to touch on because we just prayed that God would reveal his glory through this strange uh, activity where men uh, come and preach the word. And it's in 1 Corinthians that the Apostle Paul, inspired of God, tells us, guides us, instructs us to understand that there's, there's a way that the world approaches that and then there's a way that his children do. Those who, who behold his glory. He says that the world, 1 Corinthians 1 says, the world did not know God through its wisdom, but God was pleased through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. And be grateful this morning that you are in a church where people stand upon God's word and explain and expound and apply and lift up Christ. Because this is a, this is a treasure, this is a gift, this is God's appointed means and, uh, and we're grateful. This morning, we're looking, though, at... And it's a, it's a mysterious thing that God would choose sinners, uh, flawed uh, men, to proclaim the mysteries and to uh, declare the gospel. But, but, but it's, it's His appointed means. And so we open up God's Word. We want to hear from His voice. This morning, the voice that we're hearing uh, is, is Luke talking about the prophets of old pointing to a great messenger. That great messenger is John the baptizer. So look with me at Luke 3. Hear this. This is the word of God. We're going to read the opening nine verses here. Now, this is, this is typical Luke as he opens up. The physician, the, the detail-oriented historian saying something. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Irila and Traconitus, and Lystria, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Ananias and, and Cephas, uh, the word of God came to John, that's John the baptizer, son of Zechariah in the desert. Now he's, he's highlighting this to say, this didn't happen once upon a time. He's saying this happened in space and time. That's why I'm giving you these details. He's locating it in, at a particular place in history. And then he continues of, of John, right? He says, verse 3, he went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low, the crooked road shall become straight, the rough ways smooth. And all mankind will see God's salvation. Verse 7, John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. We'll stop there. Pray with me again. Father, right now, fill us, please. Fill us with your spirit. Control us so that your purposes may come and that you might bear fruit in our hearts and in our minds. Reveal your glory for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, we're only about three weeks into 2019. How are you doing on those New Year's resolutions? Hmm? Well, if one of your New Year's resolutions was to attend church more often, well, gold star for you this morning, right? Way to go. Mine was to, uh, to stop eating french fries for the month of January. I've already lost six pounds. 
I assume, though, on February 1st, I'm going to eat about five pounds of potatoes, French fried potatoes, that is, with lots of Tabasco sauce on top. Obviously, we as a people, I highlight that to say, obviously, we as people tend to aim a bit high. Obviously, we aim a little bit too high when it comes to our New Year's resolutions. I was, one of the ways I know that is just from personal experience, but I even read this week in a business magazine that the overwhelming majority, 80% of people, have failed of their New Year's resolutions by February 1st. So, where are you? You know, we do this, you know, nevertheless, we do it again and again. We do this every January. It kind of marks an opportunity uh, to uh, endeavor upon new things. We think about a fresh start. We think about a redo. We think about these things. It's, it's a bit of a common grace on an annual basis. I've been thinking about renewal and refreshment, words like that. Because I've been pondering this new year just how I desire more and more for, for me, for, for my children, my family, for uh, my people, my flock, that we would have more and more, not for the sake of self-improvement, not for the sake of, of our own advancement and self-help, but that we would be focused more on God, that God would be more central in my life. In, in my family, in church family, that God would be more central in our thinking, that God would be more central in our priorities, in our choices, in our patterns, in the way that I handle food, in the way that I handle time and money and things like parenting. God, be more central. Be more central. But for that to happen, of course, there, there's, there are things more, you know, they can't be just that broad and vague, but if it is, it's in the fore. And, and of course, there do, there do need to be plans mapped out if we are going to have God be central in our life. But the key is not the methodology. Because maybe you're here this morning and you say, yeah, I would say that would be good. That would be wise. I would like to have God be more central in my life. But, but it's not a methodology that will get us there. It, it's not that at all. To experience spiritual renewal, to have God come more and more into the center is about yielding. It does take, it's about God doing that work, but it does take a preparation on our part and it does involve a particular posture for us to enjoy that spiritual renewal. And I think God's word here through the prophet uh, guides us into it. There's, there's just two things that I want to highlight, uh, just as, as headings, so to speak, as we unpack the text this morning. And that's, that's concerning John, this unique promised messenger. We read about it in the opening of, of John earlier. Uh, John 1, speaking of John, not the writer of that gospel, but John the Baptist, he says uh, of him, he points to, to Christ. He, he has this unique message. And so here are the two headings, right? The two headings are this. We have an odd voice and we have a clear message. First of all, this odd voice. We, we see there's a quote here uh, in verses 4 through 6. It's a quote from, primarily from Isaiah 40, but also Malachi chapter 3. And the voice that's promised here is that, that focal point, the messenger John the baptizer, the final prophetic voice that God had. Now, that was really important because the people of Israel, uh, they hadn't heard from God. He's been silent for 400 years. That's a significant space of time. And, and so John's coming, and here he is. He's, he's unique. Matthew, uh, the Gospel of Matthew chapter 3 tells us of John the, uh, the baptizer that he uh, was one who wore um, a garment of camel's hair. He had a leather belt around his waist. And his food was locust 
and, and honey. Now, I don't know what your New Year's resolution diet was, but it wasn't that unique. It may have been to eat organic. This guy's got organic down. Um, he drank also, we're told, of no strong drink or wine. Uh, in his day, he was, he, was a, he was a very, very popular figure. People were flocking out to hear this strange, odd voice and messenger, some for the right reasons, some just out of curiosity, but many flocked to hear him. Not everyone loved him. He, he had a, a tendency to rebuke people. He had a tendency to call people to account, and he was a man who was correcting people's ways, their priorities, their, their, even their morals. He was calling them out. He would do that even in front of the king. King Herod, later we read of, ended up being thrown into prison. Eventually, he lost his head. He wasn't crazy. He literally lost his head. This was a messenger of him. Jesus said of John the Baptist, he said in Luke 7, I tell you, among all those born of women, there is no one greater than John. Again, he was a man, we're told earlier, was filled with God's spirit, even from being in the womb. The first person, as an interesting side note, we, if you go back and read in, in Luke in the earlier chapters of Luke here, just before this, we find that he is in his mother Elizabeth's womb, and Jesus comes into the room. Jesus is in utero with Mary, and, and he leaps in the womb. He is filled with the Spirit. Isn't it interesting to note that the first person to recognize, aside, of course, from, from Mary, who was told of the angel, the first person to recognize Jesus as Lord is an unborn child. That's just a side note concerning the personhood. But Luke, but, but Luke tells us that, that John the Baptist goes on to demonstrate that he is a man consistently filled with God's Spirit, controlled in such a way that he is not only very bold and unintimidated, but he's also a man who's very humble. Because when, when, when John talks about his job, when he talks about his role, when he speaks of Jesus... He says in chapter 3 of Luke that he's not, even, he's not even worthy to untie Jesus' sandals. The modern equivalent, I don't, I, I don't know what that would be. I, I'm, not even, I'm not even worthy to crawl into his driveway and, and clean off the, the brake dust on his tires or clean out that gook at the bottom of his shower. I, I couldn't even imagine doing the lowliest of jobs. Jesus is so great and he is the one I'm pointing to. You know, it's like the, he's the opening act but if you went to a concert and, and, uh, and there was an opening act, I, I got to do this a couple years ago with my son for his birthday. I took him to a Coldplay concert at Gillette Stadium. And uh, the, the, main, you know, the main event was Coldplay, but the, you know, the opening act, kind of, they kind of acted like they were the, the main show. And of course, people are very eager to see them step off the, the stage. Uh, but imagine if even the opening act came out and all these people had flocked to, to, uh, to enjoy their performance of whatever it was. And they said, you know what? Even we aren't the main act. There is still yet more to come. And that's what John does time and time again. He said of Jesus, listen, I baptize with water, but when he comes, Jesus will baptize with his spirit, which is to say penetrating down to our very hearts. His baptism was one of repentance. That's something different, by the way, than what we practice now in Christian baptism entrance into Christ church Let, let's move on we know that uh, he's this unique and odd voice but he has a clear message the prophet knew that he would have this message that's why we read of it here this voice calling 
in the desert. Again, verse 4, what does it say? Prepare the way. It's speaking as if a, a, a highway. Do you hear the language there? Look at it. What does it say? Make straight. Uh, take the, what is crooked and, and make it straight. Everything that's, that's high be brought low. If it's rough, it would be made, verse 5, the rough ways are what? Made smooth. What, what's in view here? It, it's, like, it's like a highway. And, it, and by the way, in the ancient Near Eastern world, it, it, was, it was common. It was common if they knew that there was some great dignitary or noble who would be coming into town. It, it, was, the, it was the custom that they would take the main, the main drag, the main road coming in, and they would, they would repair it or, or mend it or make it right. Or may, they might even build a totally separate road, and it would, it would be smooth, and it would be wide enough so that whoever was coming through that was honored and the crowds could be accommodated. Now, we know this is... This has been carried down even in historic cities. You can see certain things that aren't constructed. If you were to go to Paris, my nine-year-old on her list of things for Christmas that she wanted was a trip to Paris. So that didn't happen. And, uh, and, and neither did the uh, 13-year-old who wanted an iPhone. But anyway, I have been many, many years ago. Uh, as a student, I went to uh, Paris. And, uh, and, and in Paris, you know what that is, that, 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 that major way. It's, it's marked at the, very, at the very start. It's the Arc de Triomphe. And then there's the Champs-Élysées that spreads out. It was, it was built with a purpose. And when they returned from the, the uh, Napoleonic Wars, great victories they had, there was a celebration. There was a huge march and a parade down that. What's John saying? When he uses, when, what's, what's the, well, I should say, what is the prophet Isaiah pointing to the last prophet, John the Baptist, saying of this voice preparing for Messiah? Well, He's saying, look, the most foundational message that I want you to hear is this. It's, it's actually also the first words that Jesus mentions in his ministry. Mark 1.15 says, repent and believe the gospel. John's saying, repent. This highway, this preparation, this foundation is built on repentance. Now, Jesus goes on to say, the kingdom of God's at hand... Mark 1.15, repent and believe the gospel. That great news, that great news that we know comes to bear as Jesus doing, what, doing for us what we cannot do in reconciling us to God. It's one of the very reasons I remind my congregation regularly that biblical Christianity is a religion that is spelled with four letters, D-O-N-E. Not, not two letters, D-O, do, do this, don't do that, it's done. Done. In Christ. Come to Him. But to come to Christ, to receive and to enjoy the good news of the gospel, involves something on our part that is called repentance. And even repentance is a grace of God that we exercise. If it comes into our life, repentance, it's something that, that comes into our life that's not just the beginning point, it's the ongoing thing. Repentance, that very word is so prominent in Scripture. Over 56 times in the New Testament, the word repentance, or this root, metanoia in the Greek, is, is repentance, a change of, of mind, a turning of our attitudes to, away from and towards something. Yes, repentance involves a confession. Um, it involves things like contrition. Uh, but it also involves abandon. 
it involves letting go. We surrender something. We, we change in a way that we, we, turn, we turn from sin and we turn toward God. The imagery quoted here of the prophet is, yes, that way, that's a highway. To make straight is, is what? It's to provide access. If we make straight through repentance, it means that we provide access for God into our hearts and lives. If we want to experience that forgiveness, we make straight what is crooked. We make straight what, that which is not in line, and we know it in our own conscience, we, what is not in line with the holy will of God. In other words, if you want Messiah's forgiveness, if you want his grace, John's going to be the one saying, if you want to experience his presence in your life, don't just mend your roads, mend your hearts. What is that for you today, by the way? What are those things? I'm not talking, we're not talking about money and exercise and diet. You know, we're, we're talking about the things that trouble your conscience, that you know inhibit your, your communion with God, your fellowship with Him and other people. To, what does it mean? It means that we would clear away the selfishness, that we would, we would, we would tear away the love of worldly things, of greed, of, of complacency, and, and, and things like self-righteousness for being at church on a winter no. Uh, we clear away anything that would be an obstacle to God working. Our, our sinful attitudes, our sinful motivations, our sins of, of commission, but our sins of, of omission. C.S. Lewis, in Mere Christianity, underlines the nature of this surrender when he writes, Fallen man is not simply an imperfect creature who needs improvement. He, that is we, is a rebel who must lay down his arms, laying down your arms, surrendering, saying you are sorry, realizing that you have been on the wrong track and getting ready to start life over again from the ground up. This, that's the only way out of our hole. This process of surrender, this movement, this movement full, stern, full speed astern is what Christians call repentance. Now repentance, Lewis writes, is no fun at all. It's something much harder than merely eating humble pie. It means unlearning all the self-conceit and self-will that we have been training ourselves into for thousands of years. Now, if you lost me on that long quote, hear hear me on this one, an illustration. What is repentance? Repentance is is a grace of God. It is is an, an activity of, of turning. But a number of years, a number of years ago, I, I heard this illustration, and I think it's really helpful to, to grasp what is repentance and what that looks like in our life. Because it's not just, a, it, repentance, it, it might be as simple as a man or a woman who is walking in a particular direction and realize it occurs to them, this isn't right. And they turn and they go in the right direction. They say, no, you know what? What am I doing? You know, God, God's got a... God's got something, but I'm, I'm going this way now. Great, fine, all's well, but what if you're on a bike? If you're walking, it's easy to stop and turn the other way, but what if you're on a bicycle, right? You've got a little more momentum. You've, there's a little more involved with, with turning around and, and heading the other way. What, what, if you're, 
What if you're driving a car? What if you're driving a boat? And, 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 and it takes a while. It's not just to recognize I'm going in the wrong direction. It's, it's, it's slowing down. It's, it's, it's beginning to, to make that turn. There, there is more involved. There's a, what, if you're, what if you're like a, a, a freight ship? There's lots of momentum. There's lots of history. Maybe there's a pattern of living and there's things that you've been clinging to for quite some time that you would love to be broken free of. You'd love to change in your life. But it's not just, I was wrong, stop, turn around, go the other way. Repentance may involve a bit of a, it feels like a detour. But nevertheless, it's turning away from sin. And you're saying, and, and at that point that you make the turn, and you, you, if, you, if you make that turn, and it may involve a long season, it may involve a process. There may, there, there may be points at which in the, in the process of slowing down and turning, you make mistakes, and, and you return, and, you, and it's, 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 it's troubling. But when you do, and you see, it's only when you turn that you begin to see out of your peripheral vision the glory and the goodness and the grace of God, and you say, I'm, I'm, I, I shall continue. I talked to a, uh, a young woman recently struggling with anxiety, and she, she knows that some of that's tied to her love of, of control and her fear of certain things that, that God doesn't want for her, but she's in She's troubled, and she goes, how can I live like this? And, and I said, look, you're, you're in the season, you're in the turn of repentance, and what's, what's in your vision? Martin Luther, in his 95 thesis, the opening one, by the way, was when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ, nailing this to the Wittenberg door, when our Lord and Master Jesus said, repent, he willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. Now, the second point is, of the 95 Thesis, is that that should not be confused. Repentance is not to be confused with the Roman Catholic sacrament of penance. Repentance is a grace of God. It works into our lives, and we respond, and then we continue that turning again and again and again. Now, down through the years, you know, it's interesting when you hear these, these interviews, right, with, with various celebrities or uh, people who have reached the pinnacle of success in business or sports or whatever it may be, what, whatever that pinnacle, you know, is, the top of their game, the top of, of, uh, of their achievements, there have been some that I've heard interviewed that have said they realized that there was less there than they anticipated. Maybe even there's nothing there. One of them mentioned... And I love this, this imagery saying, I, I, I did, I, I got all the way to the top. And then it was as if I realized I had been climbing this ladder and it was leaned against the wrong house. It was leaned against the wrong structure altogether. To you this morning... What if we could decipher and decide, discern that this indeed was the case before we reached the top, which is, by the way, so often the bottom of emptiness and vanity. What, what if we were to realize, no, this is, I'm going, I'm going the wrong direction. And I want renewal, I want change, I, 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 I want to see this. Communion with God. By the way, the goal of repentance is the glory of God. But the fruit of it 
is fellowship with God. Now, I, I think that's, that's pretty important because, as you know, John has pretty strong words here. At, at the end, look at verse 7. You know, he says, listen, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from God's wrath? Produce fruit, keeping with what? Repentance. Now, he is not saying, he is not commending to them. Listen, he's talking to the people who would say, I'm a, I'm a child of Abraham. I have obeyed the law. I'm, I'm part of this inheritance. I'm, I'm fine. No, listen, if you're trusting in that, then you, you, you need to repent of even that. You need, to, you need to surrender. Messiah is coming and he's bringing something totally new. And when he says you need to be bearing fruit, he's not saying, hey, listen, I want you to go and I want you to manufacture and produce some fruit in your life. Or at least fake it till you make it. I mean, what do you do? You don't go outside. You don't say, well, you know what? I, I, I need some fruit. You don't go strap on. You know, let's just tie on a few peaches and, and apples. See, I have fruit. You don't produce that. It's being rooted and grounded in something that presses it naturally out of us. And that's the grace of God, the word of God, the, the means of grace. God's spirit pressing. That's why we call it the fruit of the the Spirit bearing fruit in our lives. Our goal isn't to produce the fruit. Our, our goal is to repent, to trust. He bears the fruit. And the fruit of that is fellowship with God for us. The goal was for repentance, for God's children. It was opening a way of forgiveness through the Son to enjoy fellowship with the Father. Now, how can you know? How can you know? You wonder, but is it enough? And am I sincere enough? And, and could God even, if I were to confess, if I were to even open up and, and confess even more of the truth of, of who I am as a sinner, what, what would happen? I mean, could God really forgive me? Would God give me the power? Would God give me the good? Listen, we hear this. It's the power of the resurrection. Peter preaches of that after the resurrection. We read of it in the book of Acts. Peter preached one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture in Acts 3. And hear the promise here for those who would repent. If you want renewal, if you want change, if, if you want to experience God being more central in your life, Acts 3, repent. If you are weary this morning, and you're like, it's only the third week of January. Hear this, Acts 3, repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. I know I want that refreshment, but it's built on this invitation to repent. Father, thank you, God, for your spirit. Even now, maybe perhaps for someone here, for many people here, showing us our guilt, revealing our shame. Thank you that God the Son, that Jesus has, is entirely able, his grace is sufficient, his power is made perfect in our weakness and our fumbling, Thank you for covering that guilt with your death, your life. 
Jesus. Thank you, God the Father, for loving us with a steadfast love and adopting us into your family forever, something unchangeable. Please, God, give us a, a sorrow for our sin. Not, not a worldly sorrow, but, but a godly grief over our sin. Keep us as a humble people. I pray for these folks here today, for us, that we would go and having tasted of these sweet things, would repent. And then go be heralds, messengers, ambassadors, witnesses, that grace really is amazing because we've been refreshed. For Christ's sake, I ask all this. Amen.